0: Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Torah for the Earth audio essay. I'm your host, Charlie Forbes, and this week I'll be addressing the dual reading of Parashat Behar and Parashat Bechukotai. Behar is Hebrew for at the mountain. It describes how God spoke to Moshe on Sinai and revealed the laws which pertain to the sabbatical year, known in Hebrew as Shemitah. In chapter 25, verse 2, we read, quote, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall observe a Sabbath rest for Hashem. End quote. The comparison between the sabbatical year and the Sabbath is both serious and symbolic. On one level, we can see a simple pattern. Human beings are commanded to work for six days and then rest on the seventh. The commandment of the sabbatical year functions in the same way. Human beings are allowed to work and harvest from the land for six years, but must allow it to lay fallow on the seventh. On another level, observance of both the weekly Sabbath and the Sabbath of the land are about honoring the sanctity of God's creation. They're about maintaining proper boundaries between the sacred and the mundane, and infusing our actions with higher meaning and purpose. With every cycle of seven, from the weekly Sabbath to the Shemitah and ultimately the Jubilee year, which is known in Hebrew as Yovel, which occurs every 50 years, we recognize that our lives exist within cycles that are fundamental to creation. In Judaism, seven is a number that signifies completion. It's representative of a larger concept related to the transformation of form, and the inherent tendency of the material world to move towards greater complexity. All of the laws that are outlined in the Torah are about perpetuating that tendency towards greater complexity. The mitzvot are certainly conjoined to concepts such as purity or pollution, but ultimately, An underlying structural motif of the Torah is about protection of life. It's about understanding that if life and all living beings are to maximize their potential, they must arrange themselves into a kind of form that can attune to the order of creation. It is this very form that's established through a series of actions, i.e. mitzvot, that support the prerequisite conditions for life and consequently complexity if complexity is to have any genuine resistance it must also be tiered which is what necessitates the repetition of cycles these are the beginnings and ends of the day the work week the sabbatical year and the era as represented by the jubilee The same dynamics are present within the discipline of ecology. Ecological systems encounter various factors that either disturb or contribute to the complexity of the ecosystem. These can come in the form of biotic or abiotic factors, which all have an effect on the interactions between species within the greater ecological system. Some factors help contribute to the biodiversity of an ecosystem, while others disturb the parameters that uphold a balanced community structure. Small changes can allow for the introduction of invasive species, alterations in predator-prey interactions, or even affect the trajectory of an ecological community over time. In the case of community ecology, difficulties arise in the assessment of an ecosystem or even with ecological niches, because interactions occur across differing spatial and temporal scales. And understanding how communities interact with environmental conditions across space and time has become ever more important as scientists are working to assess the effects of climate change. One could make the argument that the purpose behind the Sabbath, Shemitah and Yovel are quite practical as they are also considerations of scale. Baruch Lavin, in his commentary on Leviticus with respect to the Shemitah, points out that letting the land lay fallow was a practical aspect of ancient agriculture, especially where extensive irrigation was utilized. He explains that it served to reduce the quantity of alkalines, sodium and calcium deposited in the soil, and thus helped to preserve the land's fertility. In this way, there are inherently scientific components to the laws regarding the Sabbath of the land. This cannot be discounted. In any industrial society, particularly ours, any land would benefit from some rest. By eliminating all forms of human-induced ecological disturbance, whether it be for a day or for a year, this would then allow for some properties of complexity to emerge. But periods of rest will never negate harmful agricultural practices. Making the argument that the Shemitah is healthy for the land is like advocating for Kashrut because it has healthy food combining principles. It may be true... In some instances but only because they're simply side effects. They don't resolve the more holistic theological concerns related to the order of creation. The mitzvot and the sabbatical laws that are linked to the land reveal a sacred interface. Performance of the mitzvot ground us in space while the Sabbath, Shemitah, and Yovo all occur at differing intervals of time, the harmonization between actions that occur in space with the maintenance of sanctuaries that occur in time is about the human responsibility to return creation to its proper relationship with God. One cannot deny the truly beautiful socio-economic practices that are outlined in Parashat Bihar. The produce in the fields during the Shemitah is left for the animals and the economically disadvantaged. Produce is used as food, not commerce, and even if there's nothing left in the fields, you're required to remove what you have from your home and make it available to everyone. The Jubilee Laws for the land are designed to protect the Israelites from permanent poverty and slavery. All ancestral lands revert back to the original owners, and those who were enslaved due to insolvency are set free. Ecological practices and the promise of socioeconomic justice are made possible by forms of ritual that relate to the land. For this reason alone, Parashat Bihar illustrates the powerful relationship between ethics and ritual. It also challenges our idea of land ownership, the ways in which people can become custodians of that land, and how a certain type of social balance is maintained. But it's also much more complex than proclaiming that the land exclusively belongs to God. Sabbatical laws that pertain to the land are designed to restore the inherent synergy between humanity and creation. This is accomplished through a form of ritualized action, whereby creation can encounter its original form to renew itself and generate greater complexity. We can try to explain this through the language of science and ecology, how the practice of rest and release can contribute to an even greater productivity and balance But the emergence of new life is ultimately a return to the garden. It's a recursive process that has to occur again and again, at periodic intervals, if evolution is to prevail. It's a sanctification of nature, whereby she can speak her own truth independent of human interference. And it's a sanctification of creation, whereby the world can see its own turning in its path around the sun. Parashat Bechukotai, which is Hebrew for my laws, begins with a sequence of material blessings that God promises the Jewish people if they uphold their covenant. It then shifts gears and continues to what is known as the admonition, five series of rebukes, that warn of harsh punishments and various evils that will befall those who attempt to destroy the covenant. This section of the Torah is a stark example of reward and punishment. The first blessings serve to encourage those who wish to follow the path outlined in the Torah, and if they do so, there are material rewards. The subsequent curses present a type of warning and threaten those who are disobedient with material punishments. In either instance, there are material consequences for human action. This is a difficult topic to broach. For example, the second verse of the Shema revolves around this same concept of reward and punishment which was removed from the Reform Movement's newest prayer book, Mishkan Tefillah. This decision was made within a much larger discussion about a theology that links climate disaster with sin. But it's also problematic to eliminate the correlation between human action and material changes. Whether the consequences are delivered by God or by some other force, is an incidental discussion in a world where human action is ravaging the planet. There are still consequences for forms of human action that disrupt the balance of the natural world. This is the main point to take away. The concept of reward and punishment simply highlights the law of cause and effect. And this is an important framework for humanity to recognize Because our actions have had an effect on when the rains come, or when the land gives its produce, or even on our ability to dwell safely within the land. And this concludes the book of Leviticus. Chazak, Chazak, V'nit Chazek. Thank you all for listening. That's all for now, and I'll catch you next week.